All right, well, um, thanks everybody for, for joining us um, at this panel today. We, I, I, I was looking in the uh, schedule and uh, we have a lot of competition, a lot of exciting things going on, but I mean, what's more exciting than energy in Texas? So I uh, appreciate y'all being here at the, at the Texas Tribune Fest and at our panel. Um, my name is Jim Malowitz. I am the energy reporter at the Texas Tribune. Um, and um, I will be moderating this panel, which and we'll, we'll find out uh, what's going on um, in the next session, which you know, is until 2017, and uh, what's going on in the interim and, and next session um, in, in, in energy policy. Um, uh, we'll be doing about, I'll be asking about 45 minutes of, of Q&A, um, then I'll, I'll open it up to, to questions for, for the end. Um, I ask, uh, you know, well, we, we definitely want you all tweeting. If that's the thing you do, you can use the, the hashtag uh, TTF. Um, um, but otherwise, we ask that, that uh, cell phones uh, are, are quiet. Um, so it's a really exciting time in Texas energy. I mean, you know, uh, yes, oil prices are down, but we are you know, still the, you know, the, the leader in oil and gas production, uh, leader in wind production. Um, you know, we got a growing solar footprint, um, and um, uh, we're, we're grappling with a lot of issues, though, with the downturn um, in the oil industry and um, uh, some really interesting um, uh, stuff to deal with, um, looking at uh, some federal regulations that are, um, being, that are finalized now or, or in, in the process of being finalized. So really excited to, to have all these folks here to, to navigate us um, through some of these issues and, and what we're going to see pop up in, in, in the legislature. Um, so I'll, I will introduce them uh, with, without further ado. Um, um, to my left, we have uh, State Senator uh, Juan Chui Hinojosa. Um, he's a Democrat um, from McAllen. He's represented Senate District 20 since 2003. A lot of institutional knowledge there. Um, he also serves on the Senate Criminal Justice and Natural Resources and Economic Development and Agriculture, Water, and Rural Affairs Committees. Um, and he previously, he served in the Texas House, and he's uh, a Marine uh, during the Vietnam War. Um, and then to his left, we have the chairman of the uh, House Energy Resources Committee, um, State Representative uh, Drew Darby. He's a Republican from San Angelo. Um, he's represented um, House District 72 um, since 2007. Uh, he serves on the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, and he's the owner of a surety title, um, a title and escrow services company, and is of counsel to the Energy and Real Estate Practice Group at the Jackson Walker Law Firm. Um, to his left, we have uh, Representative Chris Patty. He is the vice chairman of, of the House Energy Resources Committee. He's Republican from Marshall, um, first elected to represent House District 9 in 2012, member of the House Administration Transportation Committees, and Long-Term Infrastructure and Planning Subcommittee. We'll be talking about some of that. Um, uh, and he previously served on the Marshall City Commission. He was the mayor of Marshall, um, and he's a general manager at KMHT Radio and hosts a daily talk show, the, the Talk of East Texas. So maybe at some point I'll just let you start asking the questions. Um, so um, we're, we're happy to have you here. And then uh, last but certainly not least, we have our Representative uh, Gene Wu, Democrat from Houston. Uh, he's represented uh, House District um, uh, 137 since 2013, member of the House County Affairs and Energy Resources Committee, um, also an attorney in private practice, and has previously served as prosecutor in Harris County um, District Attorney's Office. Uh, past president of the Houston uh, 8020 Political Action Committee and a board member at the uh, OCA Greater Houston. So, um, got all that out of the way. Now, now you know who you're dealing with. Um, but I guess, I'll, I guess I'll open it with a question uh, for Chairman Darby. You're the chairman of the House Energy Resources Committee, so you're really setting the, the agenda um, um, uh, in, in a lot of ways in the House. So, what would you see right now as, as maybe the biggest issue for um, at least your House members to grapple with uh, in the interim and, and uh, you know, looking forward into the next session. Well, thank you, Jim. It's, it's great to be with you today, and, and thanks for being present uh, at an energy-related uh, uh, panel. Certainly, uh, House Energy Resources has given me the opportunity and the platform to have a direct impact upon the energy business here in, in, uh, in the state of Texas. There's a lot of changes going on right now. Obviously, the price of oil has has uh, caused us to take a second look at a lot of at, at a lot of aspects of state government. Uh, federal uh, the federal uh, intrusion, if you will, uh, through the Clean Water Act and Clean Air Act and EPA. Uh, there's been some initiatives at the federal level that which have directly impacted the state of Texas. Um, obviously, our Attorney General is pursuing the constitutionality. Of some of those initiatives, and uh, but the rea but here's the reality: is the state of Texas needs to be prepared. 
uh, for that possibility. And so my job as chairman of House Energy and certainly the House of Representatives, and I know the Senate also is going to do everything we can in this interim session to prepare the state of Texas. I think it's important that the state has a plan. Uh, obviously, the federal government will have a plan. Uh, we want to make sure the state offers a plan. So how do we do that? I think one of the initi initiatives that we're going to see in the Texas House this, this interim will be uh, a close examination of a lot of committees, uh, whether it be state affairs, energy, natural resources, environmental reg, perhaps even international trade. We'll all come together, hopefully, to take a look at each one of these initiatives and determine what's the best course of action for Texas and to come up with a plan that will uh, obviously look at some of the some of the exciting things that affect uh, our environmental ozone, uh, methane gas. Um, we're going to look at carbon sequestration and some other issues, but uh, uh, the House is, uh, from the House standpoint, we are going to take an active role in making sure Texas is prepared and comes up with our own plan. Okay, so, so federal regulations, and, and that was something that I, I definitely wanted to focus on, and so I guess it's a good segue into this. Um, you know, you mentioned plan several times, and folks might be thinking about this uh, clean power plan, uh, if you all have, have heard of it, this idea that uh, it's, uh, you know, each state is, has, has its own carbon target that the EPA has, has granted and finalized the, the, the plan in, in, in August, and it's, it's really this effort um, from, from the federal government to, to kind of reshape um, uh, the energy sector in a, in a lot of ways. Um, to you know, limit carbon emissions that, that contribute to climate change, and to do that is to uh, shift a lot of resources away from coal towards cleaner burning natural gas, um, um, so, solar renewables, um, um, wind, and so forth. And so, something that I've been I've been following this for you know uh, I guess a couple of years, and it's been finalized now. And I keep trying to get a sense of yes, we are going to sue. Um, the attorney general has 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 promised to do so once it's in, in the books. Um, but you sort of alluded to this idea of Texas should maybe be taking some steps in the interim now that it's finalized to figure out what to do. Should that lawsuit fail? Should we have to comply? Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Is it risky to do so while litigation is, is, is going forward? Or? Well, of course, that, uh, the Attorney General has his tact and, and methodology for dealing with the initiative. But uh, I think the, the Texas House of Representatives needs to act on our own to uh, be prepared, uh, uh, former Boy Scout, and, and I think that motto serves us well. We need to be prepared as a state. Now, you mentioned uh, clean air. I mean, Texas has made great strides in uh, more than any other state in the union in meeting those goals and have exceeded those goals, but is there work to be done? Yes. Uh, so I think Texas has to come up with a plan, and we need to look at all the initiatives in order to uh, meet those goals. Mm -hmm. And uh, Vice Chairman Patty, I, I wanted to ask you too. Um, um, you know, you, you have your chairman saying yes, yes, we should figure out what to do and, and, and adopt something. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, is, is there any risk, um, or may not risk, but you know, could could you potentially see some members saying, if we adopt a plan, um, then it sounds like we're we're, we're endorsing the the regulations. How uh, can you talk about the politics of of this issue, and is this a challenge to be prepared, but also express your opinions on? The yeah, issue. I, I think you bring up an excellent point because there is sometimes that, that fear in, in even from the industry to say, well, well, you know, we're, we're trying to do these good things, but we're careful not to do too much just because we don't want to feel like, okay, it's inevitable, this is going to happen, we can't fight it, we're not going to be successful in the lawsuit, that type of thing. They don't want to give that impression, and we don't necessarily want to do that either. And so you're right, that is a challenge to look and say, in one case, we absolutely, as the chairman says, we have to be prepared. Uh, and, and make sure that, uh, as I always describe it, that if there is going to be change and something major, that it happens with us, not to us. Mm -hmm. uh, that, we're, that we're prepared to, to do whatever is necessary to, to protect our state, protect uh, the industries in our state, uh, and at the same time be good stewards of, of mm -hmm. the environment. Everyone wants to be a good steward of the environment. The, the, the industry has no desire to destroy our environment, uh, unlike what some folks would have you believe. Uh, so, but yes, it, it is sometimes difficult to do that because while there's litigation going on, we've seen other examples of that in public education, for example. There's a, there was a reluctance and has been a reluctance to try to do too much because, well, let's wait and see what the courts say. And so 
uh, you're right, that is always a challenge. First, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, Vu, what do you think? Is it, um, do you feel, I, I feel like this is a message, you're, you're hearing it from the chairman, you're hearing it from the vice chairman. Yeah. Are we actually gonna have a, are we gonna have a, a session in, in a couple of years where we're actually talking about a plan to um, uh, adopt a plan to combat climate change in, in Texas? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for, me, uh, for having me here. I, I, I feel a little out of place. It's like the chairman, chairman, and vice chairman. <laughs> like, who's this guy? Um, it's uh, and thank you for being here instead of you know, maybe listening to the speaker talk about something else. Um, uh, you know, uh, I'll be blunt about it. Um, I don't think we should be suing, but you know, I'm a liberal Democrat, so what, what do I know? Uh, I think this is something that the state should go along with because our, our air is shared with all the other states and you know, we have a, a global responsibility to deal with climate change. Um, I'm very hopeful, I mean, I, before today, I would, I would said like, yeah, I think there's gonna be a knee-jerk reaction to it, oh, you know, this is Obamacare for the air or something like that. It does rhyme. So. Um, <laughs> you know, and we're gonna, we're gonna fight against it simply because it's, it's a federal thing and because Obama's doing it, uh, we're gonna fight against it until, until the bitter end, it will not do anything. But listening to the chair and the vice chairs say like, hey look, let's be responsible and have emergency backup plan, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's 150 House members and, and, and 30 uh, Senate senators mm -hmm. who basically need to hash this stuff out. And uh, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Mm -hmm. But, but I am hopeful. Okay, okay. And Chairman Darby, can you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, what the political process will be then? You know, this, this is a, it, it is an admittedly very wonky issue when you're talking about the fuel mix and, and things like that. And, and the EPA, in, in some ways, uh, uh, depending on how you see it, you know, it's, uh, you know a lot of folks are, are opposed to, to a carbon goal saying that's intrusive. But in a lot of ways, it gave states latitude to figure out how to meet that. Is it, is it a challenge to reach out to your, your members to sort of, Explain, you know, the, the, the importance of, of, of this rule and, and, and figure out how to, you know, nerd out about it and, and, and study it? Well, you know, uh, from the House standpoint and certainly from the Senate standpoint, everybody knows about the issues. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the question is, how do you build consensus mm -hmm. and do the right things? Uh, being from West Texas, uh, I was hugely supportive of the, of the uh, CRES mm -hmm. system to build lines throughout West Texas mm -hmm. for... Uh, attracting generation from wind sources and, and certainly from solar and, and, and other power generation plants. So I've been supportive of the idea of how, how do we blend these initiatives together and, and certainly that has not changed. Uh, I, I think we, we, we have to recognize uh, the existence of these uh, federal rules. Uh, we have to, even though Texas again has far exceeded uh, our own goals in, in, uh, in delivering on uh, carbon reductions. Uh, there's still work to be done. And so I, th I think with the Clean Waters Act, uh, uh, to where you know, we're worried about, uh, from a private property standpoint, having the federal government intrude upon a, a small rancher with, a, with a, mud, uh, a mud puddle on his ranch becoming subject to federal oversight and jurisdiction. Uh, I think that and, and the, um, the clean power plan, I think I read an article this morning that said that it may not be as costly, but one estimate was it's going to cost the state of Texas $29 billion between now and 2020. Well, who pays for that? The consumers pay for that. And we're already at a point where electricity bills are, are, are reaching through the stratosphere, and, and so we're going to add... Uh, to everyone's problem now with, with even higher uh, electric bills? Are we gonna make our products non-competitive on the world market because the cost to produce widgets in Texas is more than the cost to produce widgets in other states? Are we gonna lose that, in that in inflow of, of people moving to Texas because we no longer have affordable energy pricing and so they're gonna look elsewhere uh, to live and work and make their products? Uh, those are all real-life issues that are facing this state, and so I, I just believe we're going to have to be proactive and say, uh, if, if there's a plan to be done uh, at, at some point, then we want to make sure the legislature uh, has an impact upon that. Mm -hmm.
Great. And, uh, and I do want to come back to some of those, those, those cost issues and talk about that, but I want, I want to ask Senator um, Hinojosa, um, do you feel like, um, I mean, uh, uh, are, are you plugged into these discussions about the Clean Power Plan? Do you, do you feel like it's going to be um, you know, as, as costly as, as, as some folks fear? Can, can Texas, with its resources, figure out a way to, to comply? Uh, first, uh, thank you for inviting me to be part of this panel. Uh, and uh, we all know and understand the importance that oil and gas place, the party place in our economy, will continue to lead the nation, the creation of new jobs because of oil and gas boom here in our state. But we also, as a state, uh, lead the nation in clean energy uh, with solar power, uh, wind power, uh, natural gas, uh, and uh, those areas of production can help us uh, meet the requirements of the Clean Air Act. Uh, and uh, for me, it's always trying to find a balance uh, in terms of making sure that the federal government doesn't overreach, but at the same time trying to focus, come up with a Texas plan that deals with our energy producers and resources. But keep in mind, uh, for me, it always seems like uh, anytime there's an EPA rule or legislation passed by Congress dealing with the environment, uh, the first reaction, file a lawsuit. Uh, and lawsuit many times only produce mixed results. Uh, and then if we lose, uh, then we are left with the fact that we have a plan we have to comply with uh, that maybe it's not to our liking. Uh, a better approach would be to try to get uh, involved from the very beginning and try to shape some of those rules to minimize uh, any uh, damage to our business, oil and gas, uh, energy producing uh, sectors of the economy, but also at the same time uh, try to find ways to protect our environment. Mm -hmm. uh, clean air <laughs> is, is very important, just like clean water. I think with the Clean Water Act, uh, what, what has been proposed is really not new rules, it's just clarification to make it easy to understand uh, how to uh, comply with the Clean Air Act. Sure. And uh, either Chairman Darby, Darby or um, um, Representative Patty, um, e either one of you on this one, I'm wondering, are we, you know, so last session, um, I was all excited uh, uh, to, to, to cover this issue last session to see, you know, what's the discussion going to be, and, and there wasn't one. Um, when, when, I did, when, when I did talk to folks, though, I mean, the, the, the reason, um, you know, when I talked to, for instance, uh, Senator Troy Frazier, who's, um, who's, who's a chairman, who was the chairman of, of the um, um, Senate um, Natural Resources Committee and is um, retiring, you know, about why this discussion isn't taking place is saying, oh, well, the rule's not finalized yet, so let's wait and, and see um, what, it, what it quite looks like. Um, but I was just kind of wondering, you know, the uh, rule's finalized now. Um, are, are, are we, were discussions going on last session, even if no one wanted to tell me about it, um, about what, like, like actual, you know, more concrete ideas about what Texas could do, whether it's, you know, a, a cap and trade program, which which is I know is a naughty word, or or, or some some other you know innovative solution. Are are we like at the very beginning of discussion right now, or are there any even concrete sort of proposals that that you've heard being being tossed around as as to how how um, we might begin to talk about this? Um, <laughs> we we tried to avoid you, Jim, last session. <laughs> uh, a lot of people do, and you but, can look forward to that. <laughs> Uh, now, the, uh, there were, quite frankly, other issues mm -hmm. that uh, were uh, seen uh, pressing at the time, <laughs> sure. and I think we worked through some of those issues. Um, you know, I was particularly uh, involved in, in uh, House Bill 7, which was uh, taking a look at our GR dedicated accounts. Included within that is the almost billion-dollar TERP fund. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things with working with that fund over the last several sessions has been how important that is, how, uh, uh, how people are invested in that program because it works. And, and, and uh, so... And for, for the un uninitiated, it's the Texas um, um, Energy... Oh, crap. Ter Terp is the... Is the um, it, it's basically the, the fund that funds uh, um, um, emissions... Texas Emissions Reductions Program, yes. which, which funds um, you know, research and, and also um, um, innovation into how you know, cars and, and things like that can emit fewer emissions and address our ozone problem. 
Sorry. In, in explaining it, I have completely thrown the chairman off. But <laughs> if, you, if you can, if, if you can. Well, yeah. you know, the, the the reality is there there are a lot of programs that 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 fund uh, endows and works throughout the state of Texas, and we've seen uh, near non 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 attainable areas remain that way. Um, and so, even though they've reduced the the number from 75 to 70. Um, you know, I think the programs do work in Texas, and so the challenge is to make sure we get as much money out to as many programs that are effective in order to uh, have an ultimate um, effect on our on our quality of our air. And so, uh, there was a lot of discussions uh, along those lines: what programs work, what initiatives uh, can we implement. How can we spend the money? So there was discussion going on, but as far as the uh, as, as far as the um, clean uh, water or clean air or the clean power plan went, I think it was more of um, we'll deal with that at some point in the future. So I, th I think that that point in the future is coming upon okay. us. Okay, and, and Jim, yeah. I would say that you know the difference from last session and this session. When you're talking about an issue like this, it's, it's not something you show up in January and decide that you're going to work on. Right. And so I think what you're going to see, while I don't know what the interim charges are going to be necessarily, but I suspect there's going to be some interim charges that deal with some of these issues, unlike last time, uh, where we were looking at other issues of seismicity and, and various things like that. And so uh, the difference is going to be we're going to put in the time between now and next session to gather the facts and, and to make sure that we, we know exactly what we're doing when we're going in, because that's gonna to lead to that other question you had about how do you get consensus, how do you get people on board. Mm -hmm. We do that by education and by being able to present them facts. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many questions about the so-called facts that people are throwing around as it relates to a lot of these issues. People don't believe a lot of this stuff, frankly, sure. and so we're gonna to have to invest the time uh, to educate ourselves so we can then educate our colleagues to, to really do something substantive mm -hmm. going forward. Okay. Well, you know, I <clears throat> Oil and gas, obviously, is, is huge for us here in Texas. Uh, so is our environment. There's always ongoing discussions uh, taking place uh, among the different companies, among the trade groups, among the different stakeholders, uh, dealing with flares, dealing with disposable wells. Uh, so those discussions are always taking place. And uh, this coming session, the Railroad Commission is up for sunset review. Uh, and some of those issues will also be discussed at that point. Uh, so. Uh, Right now, I guess our oil and gas production is, uh, is gone down because of the price of oil going down. Uh, but I see that only as temporary. So this issue will not go away. It's, a, it's a issues that we continue to look at, continue to come up with different proposals and try to ways uh, to resolve them. So it's not, it's always an ongoing uh, discussion on those issues. Mm -hmm. and, and since you mentioned oil and gas, um, you know, obviously uh, plummeting oil prices is sort of uh, always the elephant in the room in, in these discussions. Um, but, I, but I do want to go back to, um, um, a flashback to, to last session, you know, Chairman Darby, you mentioned that um, there's a lot on your plate. Um, one of them was HB40, which you all may have heard of the, um, uh, the some called it the, the Denton fracking bill, but basically this idea to, for the state to reassert its, its rights to uh, regulate oil and gas and to to limit um, um, local control over you know, certain uh, drilling regulations. That was something that occupied a lot of your time. Um, is, you know, I hesitate to ask just because you know, the, the, there's less of a, a drilling frenzy now um, and, and things are slower, but I, I, I'm wondering if, um, do you feel like that issue was solved? You know, the, the, the issue of co local concerns about the effects of oil and gas development um, versus the states want to develop those resources. Um, did, did HB 40 um, solve those issues, or are these going to come back to, to in the next session? Well, I would not be so foolish to think that HB 40 solved all the problems relating to urban drilling. I would not be so presumptive. But uh, did we need to establish the, the preeminence of the state to regulate all oil and gas activities below the surface of the ground? Yes. Was it an opportunity to give statutory authority to the cities? so that they could regulate oil and gas activities with regard to surface activities with setbacks, uh, lights, noise, 
fire safety. That, that had never been enshrined in statute before. Cities had assumed that right under their police powers as a home rule city, but, uh, but they, they had never had statutory authority. HB 40 gave that to them. So they do have the right to regulate oil and gas activities with regard to surface matters as long as those, uh, as, as long as those activities uh, do not, aren't intended simply to prevent oil and gas operations. And there's a four part test to that. I'm not gonna go into that, but uh, is the work done? No. Uh, I think HB 40 set in place uh, uh, some concepts and some ideals that we will see play out. If we're gonna, if we're gonna say to cities that uh, uh, the state has preeminence and regulates oil and gas through our, T our state agencies, TCQ and the Railroad Commission, then by gosh, we're gonna have to make sure that the Railroad Commission and the TCQ do that. And so uh, it's gonna be very interesting during this interim to make sure that we have the proper staffing, the proper resources, and the proper direction from those state agencies to actually uh, interface with cities when they have questions uh, when they have issues with regard to downhole activities, that they meet those obligations and expectations, and and so um, the, I think that is absolutely critical. That if we set in place a statutory framework uh, to establish who has preeminence in those areas, then by gosh, we need to have the state agencies prepared to do that. So we'll be following that in the interim. And Representative uh, Wood, do you have any thoughts about? Um, I, I, think, I think it's an in interesting point to to say. If the state is asserting control, we need to, to, to give the resources to the state to regulate that. Do you have any thoughts about, uh, the, the, does the Railroad Commission, does the, does the state have the resources in place to try to address right now the concerns that are you know, going on um, you know, in, in some urban drilling areas? I, I think the, the issues that could come up, I, I think it's not, this is, I don't think this is a statewide problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is a problem, basically, um, that's coming out of very select areas. So I don't think this is a, every single county is going to have, you know, 500 complaints kind of deal. Uh, I think the, the Rebel Commission has the existing resources to do it. Um, and I think more or less, I think what the weight is on HB 40 is, it's going to really be in the courts. Let's see what happens, if there are any lawsuits, how the lawsuits play out. Uh, and I think there's still, I think the chairman's right, there's still some hashing out that needs to be done to figure out exactly, you know, I mean, here, here, basically this, we, we always try to pass legislation that tries to cover as many um, contingencies as possible. But, you know, we're all human and we can't think of everything and somebody always, you know, along the bell curve, somebody always figure out something that we missed. And so, I think the message the legislature sent is you guys need to work this out. Uh, if you're going to go to court, then you deal with that on your own. Uh, and let's see, let's see what, let's, what comes out of that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and uh, while, while we're on the um, oil, and, oil and gas topic, uh, I, I do want to ask, you know, because um, you know, oil prices have, have fallen and, and, and you know, we're, we're seeing um, Quite a few layoffs. We, we just had a, a, a panel earlier. I don't know if some of you may have caught it, where we talked about, you know, is the boom over? And um, you know, a lot of the, the the local folks were saying, no, there's there, there's it's still going strong in some respects, although there's challenges. Um, I do want to ask, though, you know, in the last session, um, I guess uh, uh, another question for, for for Chairman Darby or or Representative Patty. Um, I'm wondering if if you think that the legislature properly um, devoted enough attention to Issues going on at the local level in these drilling communities, you know, torn up roads. Um, um, one, you know, we we had a Texas A&M study out um, recently that 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 showed that, uh, you know, the, the very clear linkage between the, the rise of drilling activity and, and the rise in traffic deaths and the rise of cost of traffic deaths. Um, uh, do you think enough was done last session, and is there more to be done on that? Will we have steam going ahead? Let me tell you, I'm going to kick that question over to my good friend, yeah. Senator sure. you know, <laughs> Not because I, I have an answer, and sure. I will talk about that, but uh, my colleague here has been actively involved in transportation issues for a long, long time. He and I worked together uh, through the budget process to make sure that there are resources available to TxDOT to deal with those issues. It seems illogical to me that we have 
a production uh, in these areas and that production that the state has benefited from and all those that money goes uh, to other areas of the state that would at least don't devote some of those resources back to the very communities that that are bearing the burden of that. So I, I know the senator has mm -hmm. been actively involved sure. and has a clear position on that. You know, just, just a quick point on uh, House Bill 40. Uh, many times when legislation is introduced, uh, that's not the way it ends at the, uh, that's not the, the it, not, it will not be the same at the end of the uh, process itself because you negotiate with the different stakeholders. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we pass legislation like House Bill 40, we we'll probably come back next session and look at it again, see what changes need to be made, what adjustments and modifications. Uh, on, uh, you know, we're, uh, I guess uh, our oil and gas is uh, boom and bust. Uh, and right now we seem to be in a lull. For us, we need to take advantage of this lull and continue focusing on some of the lessons that we learned from Eagle Fort Shell and trying to find ways to increase funding uh, and help the local counties, local governments. Uh, maintain and repair uh, their roads. And we have passed legislation to allow counties to keep any mineral uh, royalties uh, on the right-of-ways, uh, as long as that money is used for maintenance of roads. Uh, we're also dealing with uh, issues with uh, disposable waste from, from uh, wells. Uh, those are ongoing uh, issues that we have. We should not pull back or slow back or slow down uh, on continuing to focus uh, on the problems that we saw were created by the boom of Eagle Force Shell. Uh, those are lessons that we learned, uh, and we uh, will continue focusing uh, on trying to provide the necessary assistance from the state uh, to alleviate some of the local, not only environmental problems, uh, but also transportation and public safety issues that, that happened. Uh, in terms of transportation, uh, for us, uh, transportation is a whole different issue, uh, but this last session, uh, we made a lot of headway in trying to provide uh, and do away with diversions, about $1 billion plus uh, from Fund 6, so they could focus on new uh, transportation projects. So we're, we're focused on that. And, and I'm wondering, too, on, on the environmental issues that some of you, you touched on, some of the environmental issues um, I had uh, going into the last session, it seemed like there was like lots of talk about what the state might do in terms of like uh, limiting flaring, you know, the flaring off of excess gas that can't be captured and, and sent to market, which is a, a pretty serious pollution problem in some areas and adds to the ozone problems like around, you know, San Antonio and, and, and places like, and, and par parts of West Texas, which don't have as much ozone. But um, I, there, there really didn't seem to be as much of a discussion last session. And um, I'm wondering, I was sort of wondering at the time, was there less discussion on addressing those types of issues, partly because we were waiting to see what oil prices would do and, and worries about getting more, more um, oil folks to, to, to pull out of some of the areas? areas. I'm wondering, is, is that still um, you know, a threat now, um, Vice Chairman Patty, uh, that um, you know, some lawmakers who might not be as engaged with the issues might think, why do we want to address this now in this sort of lull time? No, I actually, I think we will, uh, you know, part of it is, you know, we're, just, we're there 140 days. We, we, we make our priority list based on what we believe people want us to, to look at and what are the pressing needs of the state. And sure, we don't always get to everything that's on the list. And we had some pressing things that we were able to accomplish this session. And, and now it's next up. You know, what's next up? Next up is going to be some of these issues mm -hmm. that you're talking about here. And so, uh, you know, I think, uh, as the center alluded to as well, the silver lining here, when we do have a bit of a downturn, I think we absolutely take advantage of that time to, because we know what the problems are. We know what the problems are when we do have that boom. We, do, we know what the problems are in, with urban drilling and uh, disposal wells and all those types of things. So when we do have a little bit of a lull, we should absolutely take advantage of that. And, and I think we will. I think mm -hmm. we will be very uh, proactive in doing that and not waiting around until we, again, have a, a major problem. You know, it's kind of like water issues. You know, when we have a drought, everyone is all about water and focus on water, and then it rains for a while, mm -hmm. and people seem to kind of forget about water for a little <laughs> bit, right, Mr. Chairman? And, uh, but we can't do that with these issues because mm -hmm. we need to be prepared when that activity ramps back up, and it will, uh, to address these issues, particularly in the areas, you know, disposal, for example. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can't dispose, you're effectively shut in production, ultimately, right. if, you, if you shut in disposal. So, 
I mean, we need to be prepared uh, for when it's, when it's boom again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, let, let, me, let me add to that, because I, I think flaring, uh, obviously it's a big issue in terms of pollution. Uh, that's why clean energy and renewable energy is so important. But also keep in mind that whatever laws we passed, at least I understand there's a shortage uh, of infrastructure uh, and pipes to be able to do away with the flaring. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are issues that are not within the legislature's control. Uh, we have a new pipe company come in um, and establish a site in Corpus Christi. Uh, so we're moving in that direction, but it can't be done overnight because the infrastructure is not in place. And, and, yeah, let, me, let me tee off that. Um, I'm, I'm from the Permian Basin region, and obviously uh, we've, we've watched these, these plays mature, and especially in the Eagle Ford, there was not the infrastructure in place, nor in the Permian Basin, to deal with uh, the extraordinary production. I mean, you, you kind of, when you focus on increasing production, you sign, sometimes lose focus on some of the, some of the uh, other issues related to that. Flaring is one of them. State doesn't make any money. Uh, severance taxes on that, it, it hurts our environment. Uh, it was a factor of lack of, of deliver, delivery to the, to the refineries and to the marketplace, and so, uh, hopefully, you know, some of the market forces that the center referred to are now in place. Pipelines have been built. Infrastructure has been developed. And so uh, hopefully uh, uh, the, the incidence of flaring uh, will be reduced. We will take a look at that, I promise you, in this next Yeah, and, and, and I guess my question is, too, is, is that I know a lot of it, the, the reason for the flaring has a lot to do with, well, if not all to do with, with the energy economics and, and the infrastructure. Um, I, I, was, I was reading some, some Railroad Commission history a while back, and I saw that I believe it was in the 1940s, the Railroad Commission just demanded that different fields just stop flaring, like they had that power. And honestly, I'm not sure what the, the full implications of that were. But it, it sort of reminded me that, that the state could take action if it wanted to, if it decided that this is a serious enough issue to set some new regulations on that. I mean, is that on the table for the next session to, to actually you know, whether it's through incentives or actual action, try to limit some of these types of, of things? Um. I think if you, I mean, I think at, at oil at $100 a barrel, people are gonna flare because it's like, well, we wanna get the oil out and, you know, forget about the gas, let's just get rid of it as fast as possible because we need to get the oil as fast as possible. Uh, and if, if we wanna do something about flaring, now is the time to do it because now the incentive to go out and just dump gas out is not as high because now because you're wasting resources as well. So if oil prices are down, but gas prices are pretty stable, you know, I think there's some incentives. Some of the things that I thought about is like why not just say, you know what, if you were gonna if you were gonna flare, and you recapture that gas, we'll let you have it tax free. You know, if you whatever that small amount is, that may create some economic incentives for people to say like, okay, now it makes more economic sense for us to grab a. Uh, a truck out to, to condense it or whatever it is, or to put pipe out to, to ship it off. And I think, you know, my, con my concern for, for the flare gas is not so much the, the lost revenue, because I don't think it's all that much, but it's really, in the grand scheme of things, but it's really the environmental factor. I mean, like, you're talking about, like, methane, pure methane release is, a, I think this estimate is 10 times more harmful than just pure carbon release. Yeah, so, many times, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, um, sort, sort of pivoting, pivoting away from the, the oil and gas sector, I do want to talk a little bit about renewables. I mean, this can be in the context of the Clean Power Plan, but just sort of in general, too. Um, I've, I've kind of been blown away by um, how quickly, you know, we, we, we don't have a lot. We, we haven't had a lot of um, solar energy. Um, you know, we, mo most of the time when we talk about renewables in Texas, we talk about, like, the, the mighty wind industry, which, you know, powers, like, 10% of the grid or so. Um, but I've been sort of blown away lately by seeing all the solar projects being, being launched. Um, uh, ERCOT, the, uh, the grid operator uh, of the grid that covers most of the state, came out with a report yesterday related to the Clean Power Plan, but it was really interesting to see that um, its estimate of, of, of the baseline of, of, of solar uh, on the grid, um, you know, what would happen in, you know, by 2030 if the state took no action under the Clean Power Plan, um, changed dramatically from its estimate last year. Last year it said we might have about 10,000 megawatts on the grid, um, which is a, a very sizable chunk. And, and this year, um, just based upon market forces, you know, it, it said about 13,000 megawatts, a, a huge leap by that time. I'm just wondering, you know, um, it, it seems like an exciting story in Texas. 
Um, is there anything, do, do we just sort of let the market play out um, to, to encourage this type of growth? Or, or are there things that, that the legislature can do to, to speed it up or, or make sure these resources are integrated onto the grid well? Um, if, if anyone has any thoughts about um, you know, solar and, and, and wind in, in particular. This, this is something that I'm very interested in. Um, and I just want to start out by a reminder that, I don't know about how it is on the Senate side, but on the House side, it's the Energy Committee and not necessarily the Texas Oil and Gas Committee. Um, and you know, we, we like our oil and gas friends. They add a lot to the state's revenue. But one thing that I've said from the very beginning is we really want to see, the legislature wants to see Texas be the energy capital of the world, not just the oil and gas capital of the world. And promoting solar, promoting wind, promoting any other types of energy generation, if we can not only be the hub for generation, but also the hub for research, the hub for production, that goes a long way. I mean, especially right now as oil is turning down, oil, oil prices are low, we're realizing, hey, we're glad that the state is diversified because it could be 1980s crash where oil goes down and entire state goes down with it, but we're such a diverse economy now that we can survive it. And I want to keep us, keep the state going in that direction where let's make sure that we keep the solar and the renewable incentives in place. Uh, if we can spend more money on research, let's get A&M, let's get UT, let's get all our schools together, have them have a dedicated department to look at those issues. If we can work with those industries to help them, what do you guys need? Mm -hmm. Because like solar and wind, we're not competing just against other states, we're competing against other nations. Um, other, I mean, China's dumping a lot of their uh, cheap solar products on, onto the market. We need to some ways that like, we're, ours is more expensive, but ours is 10 times better. Mm -hmm. You know, we need something like that. Yeah, um, well, I want to point out that uh, here in Texas, uh, we lead the nation uh, in clean energy, uh, renewable energy with uh, solar power and uh, wind energy. And the reason for that, we have programs in place uh, to, uh, to provide incentives yeah. and encourage uh, that type of production. Uh, and we ought to maybe review to see what else we can do to make it more effective. Uh, but certainly, uh, it's, it's a combination. Uh, and clean energy will help us also comply with the uh, Clean Air Act. Yeah, and, and, and um, you know, it's an interesting time in, in solar as I've been following it because costs of the technology are, are going down pretty steadily, and that's, I think, led to a lot of the, 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 the ramping up uh, that we've seen. Uh, there's also some fears. Uh, there's, there's, you know, questions about whether a, a big tax credit at the federal level, whether that's going to be renewed. I'm wondering, um, Chairman Darby, on, on that front, you know, um, if, if the federal government pulls its um, um, generous, you know, tax credit, is, is that something that does Texas consider, you know, stepping in to keep incentivizing it, or is that kind of a, a no-no in terms of um, putting money into that? Uh, you know, I, I would think that that, from the legislature standpoint, uh, continuing any sort of federal uh, credits or incentives at the state level would probably be uh, difficult at best. Um, but the state is continuing to do through 313 agreements and other uh, incentives. Again, we built an $8 billion uh, transmission line uh, throughout West and North Texas. I mean, no other state has built a transmission line, much less one the size and the scope of Texas. And so when I travel throughout the country and I talk to other state leaders, they just, they cannot believe that we committed as a state to develop that sort of opportunity to attract and keep um, uh, renewable generation. Of course, it wasn't designed just for renewables. My fear throughout the whole decision process and, and approving the CRES line system and funding that was if we build it, will they come? Mm -hmm. If we build it, will there be anything at the end of it that will generate power and justify the expense? That was the fear. Now, now we've seen that if you build it, they will come and they have come and will continue to come hopefully and we will continue to, uh, to make sure that the goals of the CREZ system to enable Texas to uh, continue at the forefront of power generation, uh, I think is, is absolutely critical. So from a state standpoint, we've committed the resources. I think we need to continue uh, incentives that we do have uh, 
But keep in mind, it, at some point, a lot of this discussion is going to be driven by the economics. Um, if it's going to stand on its own, I think technology has brought both of those important renewables to a point where they're very nearly there. If they can work out how to store uh, that energy will be a breakthrough that we'll all benefit from in this room and throughout the state of Texas. And there's another, there's another I guess, uh, source of energy sometimes uh, gets, uh, we, we don't discuss it as much, and there's natural gas. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also a clean source of energy. Mm -hmm. we, have, yeah. we have abundant natural gas here in Texas. Sure. When we're talking clean power plan, that's, uh, that's going to be a, a big, big part of, uh, of the mix there. Uh, well, we have about 15 minutes left, so um, you, you all have sat through my questions. Um, um, if, if any of you have questions, um, I'd invite you to come up to the mic um, and share them. Um, yes, we have, we have one over here. Thank you. Uh, Al Bright, Chairman Darby or anyone else who'd like to jump in on it. Uh, we've mentioned methane a little bit. Uh, methane is our second most hazardous greenhouse gas, something 25 times more powerful than CO2. Uh, the EPA is working on new regulations that would regulate emissions and leaks from new oil facilities and distribution facilities. But uh, the installed base of petroleum oil, gas, distribution, transmission, and so forth in Texas is huge and wouldn't be affected by that. So my question is, will Texas take the lead in regulating methane leaks and other fugitive emissions from the existing facilities so that we can reduce this dangerous source of greenhouse gas? Well, I don't know if the question is directed to me. I don't know if Texas is going to take the lead, but I can tell you that Texas is going to be involved in those discussions, and I do believe that's a... That's a topic for interim studies, and, and I would hope that you and, and others, as we conduct interim hearings on these matters, would appear and, and, uh, and give us your point of view so that we can formulate good, sound state policy in order to deal with these very real issues. I think uh, Texas has reduced uh, methane gas uh, emissions by about 70% since uh, 2005. Uh, the new proposed rule by EPA uh, is requesting that we reduce it by about 20, 25 percent by 2025. Uh, those are proposed rules. For us, uh, we want to get involved. We need to come up with our own plan. And the reason is uh, that if we don't get involved and we don't try to take the lead, uh, then we, we, we have to put up with a plan uh, that's created by the EPA uh, uh, with not, without very little participation uh, by the state. Okay. And do we think it's uh, economically viable to, to be able to limit methane emissions as much as the uh, EPA wants us to? I just don't want to be the whip, whipping boy for the EPA. <laughs> I mean, Texas has, has exceeded far beyond expectations, far more than any other state in this union, and we seem to continually, as, as the goalposts, as we... As we plan on the goalposts that exist on the field today, uh, EPA continues to move those goalposts further and further back. And each time they move it further and further back, it impacts consumers, it impacts generators, it impacts businesses in this, in this state. And so uh, we want to do what the responsible thing is, but by gosh, I'm tired of, of having to move the goalposts and continuing to exact uh, penalties on the consumers and the people of Texas and the industries that live and work here. Cost is always a factor. <laughs> Got another question over here. Speaker Darby, uh, I'm happy to hear that we have a plan B somewhere, some, somehow that's going to show a Texas plan for both air and uh, other energy issues that could be restrictive of energy. Have you or will you suggest to the speaker that you have an interim uh, matter on that so that your committee would go forward with a plan for the state? Absolutely, my office has been in touch with the speaker's office. Just to clarify, I am not the speaker, I'm chairman. <laughs> um, make that perfectly clear. Uh, uh, but uh, certainly that is a very uh, important issue that, that the speaker's office is aware of. I think the, the uh, charges are being drafted.
Hopefully there will be a mechanism in place to bring all of the various committees together that, ha that are impacted by these federal regulations so that we can work together uh, to come up with uh, rules and regulations that affect the very agencies that each one of our committees uh, have oversight over, whether it be the Energy Committee or Natural Resources or Environmental Reg or State Affairs or International Trade. Uh, all of those areas are impacted, hopefully, uh, as collectively, uh, as a group, uh, we can look at those issues and come, uh, come up with some rules that make sense. Thank you, sir. It's been a very good, uh, informative uh, panel. Thank you. Thank you. Does anybody else have any questions? Come on. Well, I got some backups. Come oh. <laughs> <laughs> on. We, we, got about, uh, we got about 10 minutes, so you guys okay. aren't quite off the hook yet. Um, but. Uh, one of them was, uh, I, th one of the interesting issues comes up politically I, th that I found on, on, on the energy beat is um, you know, these eminent domain issues and pipelines, because you have some interesting um, uh, coalitions that form. Um, I, I was out in the, the Big Bend covering uh, 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 the giant uh, Trans-Pecos pipeline. There's, there's plans to, to basically um, send um, West Texas gas in, into Mexico, and it's going through some um, you know, fairly you know, untouched uh, regions of the state that uh, Texans hold dear, and there's, there's concerns about it. Um, one of the concerns sort of on, on the policy side is this issue of the state really has little, has given itself little, little authority, given the Railroad Commission, which regulates pipeline, little authority to um, really draw pipelines, and, and, and um, there, there's not a lot of scrutiny over some eminent domain claims. Uh, I'm wondering if, if, if the issue of eminent domain is going to come up in any meaningful way um, next session to talk about whether there's more that the, the state would like to do to, um, you know, have a say over whether, you know, pipeline companies um, just start building and worry about that later or, or, or whether there should be more checks in, on, on whether they should be able to claim eminent domain, um, if anyone wants to, to tackle that. Everybody's kind of looking at me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would tell you, leader. eminent domain is always an issue. Absolutely. Uh, every session, uh, only because different problems come up in terms of uh, either companies overreaching or local government entities overreaching. Uh, it's amazing how many uh, different uh, governmental entities we have throughout the state that have uh, eminent domain authority and power. Uh, so yes, uh, it becomes a property rights issue. Uh, and, and in trying to find the right balance, uh, it, it always changes uh, from session to session, also based on rulings by the United States Supreme Court uh, and issues that come up. So th those are always in play. Two sessions ago, we had a, a very lively discussion uh, relating to common carrier status and, and how that impacted negotiating um, Positions and power in the transaction, and uh, and it was a it was a, dis a debate that struck right at the very heart of the area that I represent. Obviously, we want to make sure that that uh, in this case pipelines. There was a recent uh, court case that impacted it, and we wanted to make sure that pipelines continued to have the right for eminent domain. But there was some question about the current regulatory. Uh, application for that, there was kind of a check off the box issue, and it, it didn't really deal with the circumstances affecting a common carrier status. Do you have it going in? Do you maintain that common carrier status through, throughout the process? And so, uh, obviously, you had the uh, Farm Bureau, cattle raisers, uh, landowner rights groups versus uh, uh, pipelines. Uh, so, that, that was a spirited conversation that bill did not pass but I thought it advanced the discussion forward uh, and and so I don't know uh, where we are on that as far as will that be an issue we'd want to tackle that is a very difficult uh, issue and uh, we want, hopefully the railroad commission through its regulatory authority has implemented rules that that not only determine that initial status of common carrier, but, but carries it forward um, uh, in the operation of that pipeline. Um, do you lose that common carrier status? So it's a very litigious uh, issue and one that strikes at the very heart of 
of private property rights here in Texas. Keep, keep the lawyers and reporters busy. Um, <laughs> we have another question over here. Hi, my name is Heather House, and I just came back to Texas. I've lived here my entire life, um, but I went abroad to do my master's in Japan and Germany. And I studied resource management over there, and I thought it would be great to learn from them because they are leading in renewables, and that's something I think we can learn from. So I do have um, a bit of a mouthful, so I'm just going to read it all off. Um, and it touches on a little bit of something that each of you has said. So with all respect, just because we're leading in clean energy in Texas doesn't mean that we're reaching our full capability or potential at all. I think that we have such a small fraction of renewable energy as the overall that it is really not saying much. Sorry to interrupt, but can you phrase it in a, in a question for, for the panelists? Or, um, uh, yes, I can, but yeah. it's like a holistic question, uh, if that's okay. Could, could, could you start with one? <laughs> I have a lot. They're kind of combined. <laughs> um, well, like Representative Wu said, we are competing against other nations, and Germany is one of those. I think that Germany is kind of crushing us. Germany is not only smaller than Texas, but they're actually leading us in waste to energy. So they're using anaerobic digestion and using organic materials to create energy. And they're creating more energy out of that than all of the United States. And I just think that... But is it affordable? Yes. Actually, Germany doesn't do anything that is not profitable, so they make a business out of it. And I know that cash is king. Uh, not That's according something. to the information I've received, that yes, they are leading with renewables, but their cost of goods continues to escalate to the point where they're non-competitive on the world market. They are not actually using any subsidies for any of their renewable energy. I'm not talking That's about so subsidies. I'm talking about expense to their consumers and expense to the manufacturers. Well, I do realize that we have different setup in our governmental systems and in our taxes as well, but I think that there's definitely ways that renewable energies can be profitable. And I think that just because Texas, um, Texas can and should set the bar higher and higher, there's no reason that we don't want to raise that standard. So I just... I'm not going to continue to take money out of the people's pockets in this room simply to support an ideal for the sake of the ideal, it has to work, it has to deliver, and it has to be affordable. Uh, everybody in this room through the utility bills pays for this idealism uh, simply to reach a certain goal, a, a certain yes. percentage, if you will. I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is to make sure that people who live and work in Texas can afford to live and work in Texas and manufacture products and deliver them, those on the world market. That's what I'm concerned about. I agree with you 100%. I am a part of this community as well, and one of the reasons why I want to live and work in Texas, opposed to abroad, is because of the taxes. And I don't want to have to live in a country where I pay 40% of my taxes. So I agree with that. But I know let, me, let, me, let me add an additional point on that. And it's a very quick response. Uh, and it is that uh, our economy is not static. Uh, it, it's very dynamic. Uh, and uh, worldwide competition in terms of renewable energy uh, and different technology comes into play, uh, you can make some of these uh, new energy products cost-effective. Uh, and the best example I can give is the desalination. Uh, more and more, we're turning to desal process, uh, and the cost continues to go down. So sometimes it takes a while, it takes some time uh, to, to make those uh, cost-effective to the general public. Okay. And, and can I just say this? I mean, I, my perspective is I think there's costs outside of what is on your electricity bill. There are external costs to air pollution. There's external costs to uh, uh, global warming. There's external costs to having, you know, Texas be in a drought for three years or whatever it is, and having massive wildfires that rage through parts of the state. Um, I think, you know, we, I think the state, given its resources, is still going to be very competitive. And I think this is the opportunity that we need to do a lot of these experiments, to do a lot of these test runs. Um, you know, uh, uh, so, uh, Silver Eagle distributors, they, they, uh, they're distributors of Bud Light and, and the Budweiser products in Houston. Their trucks are run off of landfill gas in Houston. And I mean, for us, I mean, like, uh, that's a really big deal. And cost -wise, A lot of methane gas in Houston? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of hot air, too. Yeah. <laughs> Especially during the That's kind of race. what I was referring to. I'm all right, all right. Did I kill your joke? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think just like solar, just like wind, the initial cost of doing these industries is always going to be higher. They're not going to be competitive at the beginning. 
but that doesn't, I think, I don't think that doesn't mean we should, there's like eight negatives in there. Um, <laughs> I don't think that should stop us from doing it. I think, again, what, what I really want is I want Texas not only to be the, the capital for generation, but also for production, but also for research. That I think that research component is huge. Um, for like uh, Senator Hinojosa said, desalinization is a real big issue. What? We don't really have a lot of desal research. I think a lot of our technology, I've been looking at it for, for a while now, it's like a lot of our research is from, like from the 1970s, 1980s, and we're kind of like, yeah, it's, all, it's good enough. And I think if we, as a state, say like, look, we're gonna focus on these issues, and we were truly going to be the capital of energy for the entire world, we gotta, we gotta look like it, we gotta act like it. We have one, uh, this will be the last question, because we're running out of time. I actually don't have a question, but I have a request of the leadership that is here today. I want to talk a little bit about a different kind of pollution, and that's light pollution. I sit on the board of the McDonald Observatory, and we are always in conversations with the drilling activity that goes on out there and the light that is emanated from the platforms and it diffuses our ability to stare into the heavens. I just have a request that when you talk about energy and drilling out in West Texas, if you please keep the McDonald Observatory in your mind. It's very much in my mind. I've been there many times. It's a huge uh, asset for this state and for this country. And, and I've been there and, and seen the cooperation with local landowners have, have all their lights with covers on the top. They're all focused down. I think we've had uh, cooperation from local authorities and certainly hopefully from the oil and gas industry, but that is a, that is a resource that must be protected. And I would be very supportive of doing everything we can from a state standpoint to assure the continued viability of the McDonald Observatory and the wonderful scientific work that they do day in and day out. I agree. And you can, uh, you can read a story about that at the Texas Tribune from earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, we are now out of time. I really appreciate y'all joining us. Uh, can we give a round of applause to our panel? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you.